fertilizer costs have skyrocketed, not to mention higher costs and other input items like diesel. Well, it's time to step back and think about what are we doing? When we have high prices, the more you understand about where your soil, what your soil test levels are, how reliant you are on any particular application to give you forage, that's important to understand. That was John Laurie with the University of Missouri Extension. He and Craig Roberts, also with the University of Missouri Extension, will join me to talk about what we can do to mitigate these higher fertilizer costs through making good use of free fertilizer in our pastures, through intensive grazing, and the use and management of legumes in our plant diversity on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, hi, everyone, and we welcome you back here again. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show, and we're glad to have you joining us on our program today. This is Episode 72. I only say that every in every show, mainly as a reminder to you that you can also listen to this via podcast, and if you're listening to it that way, first of all, thank you for taking the time to download it. If you're joining us on the radio and you hear something, you want to go back and listen to it again, if you just search any podcast provider out there, you will find us, Working Ranch Radio Show. And like I said, this is episode 72. Now, it is a show today that I hope really has a lot of practicality to it because we are in that time of year where the grass is greening up. Uh, For some of us, we've got a little bit of moisture. I know for folks down in the south and southwestern part of the country, still needing a little bit more as it's been very dry down there. But uh, nevertheless, we are seeing things green up a bit and the grazing season is upon us. But here's the hairy part of the whole deal is input costs this year are dramatically higher and if you heard us in the opening we were talking about how do we mitigate some of these fertilizer costs that we are seeing now I realize that there are probably several folks listening that maybe you've never bought fertilizer and that's not something that you do there are a few folks that maybe uh, have some uh, gray or some old hay ground that they're that that they're utilizing and and, uh, various things of that nature so when we talk about this please don't get the idea that this is just about a farming operation because because I believe what you're going to hear today, there are some principles in that, that whether you are a range operation or whether you are a mixture of, of range and some farming or whether you're farming just in general, there's going to be some principles here that we can utilize here that I believe will be very beneficial, especially in light of the fact that these prices, fertilizer prices, diesel prices, just to name a few, are astronomically high this year. So that's kind of the featured topic here today. My guest, John Laurie with the University of Missouri extension he is an associate professor and also the state nutrient management specialist also joining us will be craig roberts and he is the state forage crop specialist as well so two gentlemen joining us here that have a lot of knowledge in this and also to talk about what they have been doing there at the university of missouri right now a quick thank you to the sponsors of the working ranch radio show bobcat one tough tractor now here's the deal if you would like to build your own ideal machine it's pretty simple if you go to their website at bob Bobcat.com. They've got a special tool in there, and you can just build that machine out how you want it, design your own ideal machine, and it'll give you a quote of what that is going to look like. Find out more at Bobcat.com. Well, if you're a regular listener here to the program, you're probably aware that the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. And uh, in fact, last week, if you were listening, we're talking with the captain a little bit, and he was just in the process of getting the next edition ready to go for print, and that is going to be headed to your mailbox anytime now. Now, if you do not have a subscription to Working Ranch Magazine, it's pretty simple. If you just go to the website at workingranchmag.com, you can get your subscription started today. And speaking of the magazine, it's time now to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Justin, last episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show was absolutely fundamentally amazing. Everybody, you need to go back on uh, the podcast, grab it. It's the one on sustainability. And I want to comment on Debbie Lyons Blythe's 
uh, comment that the the whole sustainability thing started from from the wrong direction. It started from the top down. She makes a really really good point. I attended a few of those U.S. Roundtable sustainability meetings uh, and and did a few interviews. And I remember doing one where a corporate suit from a, a burger uh, operation. Uh, fast food outlet uh, came to to one of our deals, cattle deals, and we could all line up and have an interview with this gentleman. And I remember my turn came, and I went to sit down with him. And his uh, his his suit was worth more than my truck. And I asked him point blank. I said, "What do you think it is that we do, and and, and how it ties into sustainability?" And he just kind of stared at me. And I kind of stared back at him, and then I flipped him my card, and I said, when you figure out what what it is we actually do, and that might take you a couple of years to really dig down and, and visit a few of these places, not just for the afternoon. I mean, you got to actually stay and stick around, find out what's going on, uh, follow some of these animals through the whole system. Uh, then let me know. I'll come back and finish the interview. So absolutely right. It's a complicated thing, but it's the most simple thing, Okay. We wouldn't be sustainable. We wouldn't be the best in the world if we weren't sustainable. And I think that's the message right there. We're going to run with that. I'm proud of everybody. And and we've got this. So uh, back to you, Justin, in the booth. You bet. Thanks, Captain, for that. And, you know, we had some great guests last week on that show. I really appreciated Mike Williams out of California, his comment that, you know, this is nothing new to ranching. This is something we've been doing for an awful long time. We've just maybe had different terminology for it, so it's nothing to be scared of. A really good episode to go back and listen to, episode 71 last week as we were talking about sustainability. Well, don't go away. When we come back, we will get into our featured interview as John Laurie and Craig Roberts with the University of Missouri Extension will be joining us to talk about how we can try to mitigate and maybe eliminate some of these higher fertilizer costs through proper grazing and the use of legumes in our plant diversity of our operations also don't forget meteorologist don day joining us in our last part of the show here today as we take a look at our long-term weather we'll be back with more on the working ranch radio show after this living in the country means working in the country and that calls for a tough tractor Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the Build and Quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit Bobcat.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we head now into our featured interview of the day. And as we talked about in our first segment, uh, we're really the focus of our program here today is how can we look at mitigating or maybe even in some cases eliminating some of these fertilizer costs that we uh, that folks might have. If you're a farming operation, that's probably something you have a little bit more than a lot of us that are more uh, range grazers. But at the same time, what we're going to be talking about, I believe, will have information that will be applicable to whether you're a farming type uh, pasture uh, operation or whether you're also in a range grazing. So I'm going to introduce my guest here today. With us today is Craig Roberts, who's a state forage and crop specialist with the University of Missouri, and also John Laurie, who's an associate professor with the University of Missouri and the state nutrient management specialist. Guys, thanks to both of you for joining us here on our program. Thank you. Great to be here. Let's kind of start by setting a lot of this up. You know, this year, of course, it's really applicable when when we look out there. And I myself, you know, I'm having to call up. I've got another place up north by Devil's Tower, Wyoming, that does have a little bit of farming in it. And we're looking at fertilizer prices. And man alive, is there more than sticker shock this year? And so yeah. for, for you guys, I know you have some schools where you're where you're working with folks about this. So let's start from the beginning and, and some of the research that you all have been doing at the University of Missouri Missouri in regards to ways that producers can start to look at 
maybe bypassing that fertilizer bill for the year. And so I'll kind of throw it out there, whichever mm-hmm. one wants to start with it. And if you both have an answer, that's fine as well. I'll start. And uh, again, we're talking about the eastern half of the United States. We have a lot of rainfall here. Several ways that we can reduce fertilizer costs. And one of them is, of course, legumes. And, and when we talk about adding legumes to the field, we're primarily talking about reducing nitrogen fertilizer. And so our grazing systems are set up to, to maintain legumes. Legumes can be grazed out easily. And the way we set these grazing systems up is, is we send the cattle through small paddocks. They graze it down. They move to the next paddock. They may not cycle back to that original paddock for, for a month. Now, that varies a lot with the growing season. But during that time, the legumes themselves have a chance to recover. Some of the legumes will recede their annuals or at least their biennials or whatever they need to recede to persist. And then some of the legumes uh, just need the rest period. And those individual plants will, will continue to grow with or without reseeding. But that's really how we maintain our nitrogen fixation and reduce nitrogen fertilizer costs. And so that's that's what I would add to mm-hmm. it. And there's more to say about how to keep the legumes and how much nitrogen they add. Uh, John, I'll turn it over to John, who's done a lot of work with mm-hmm. nutrient management in a pasture system. Okay, John. Yeah, well, so there's a, a couple of things I would just mention off the top. I think the first thing we got to realize that anything we bring on the farm that has nutrients in it, that's a fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we work a lot with our growers to make sure they recognize, you know, when they're ba- buying hay, that's a that's a fertilizer. And, uh, you know, obviously your job if, with any kind of fertilizer, try to figure out how you get that spread well. And so you need to think about how you feed that hay and make sure you, you use that that fertilizer, uh, feed that hay in a way that helps the animals move that across the pastures. And um, so, you know, that's a that's a key key thing. Another key thing when we have high fertilizer prices is you absolutely want to be sure that when you're buying fertilizer, you're growing something that you're going to utilize. Uh, you know, it's really easy in, in grazing systems to, uh, at least we see it, and particularly when there's a lower level of management, you know, there's fertilizer that goes on, but it doesn't necessarily translate into uh, more mouths that are of grass that are eaten by the cows. And so, um, so a couple things I'd say about that in our systems, we can have, for example, for phosphorus and potassium. If you have a well-managed system, you can recycle a lot of that. Just cows take it up and they put it back down in the field where they are. And um, while I won't say that we don't need fertilizer in those systems, uh, you know, if you're up, if you're up at, an, at a good soil test level, have high fertilizer prices, you know, if it's a grazing system, do we really need that annual shot of fertilizer to keep the system going? Mm-hmm. So there's, you have to ask questions about if, if prices are high, is that, fertilizer going to help me increase forage this year or can I put that decision off a little bit and um, you know we have farmers that are really don't want to put don't want to use fertilizer most of them end up having the lime truck show up sometimes uh, you know can't they can't really no savings for that mm-hmm. but you know if they do a great job of managing other sources of nutrients coming in and making sure anything that they do on their farm keeps moving those nutrients across the field and not stacking up near a water or some, some winter feeding area you know some of those folks can see their soil test levels actually go up with that kind of management mm-hmm. again you know i look at the uh, you know I, I don't have any experience in your more range situations you know i don't really have an understanding of whether the intensity of a nutrient deposition is, is sufficient in those systems, but that would be my first two uh, mm-hmm. top of the line recommendations really in any system is make sure that the animals, uh, make sure the animals benefit from that fertilizer that's applied and also make sure that anything that comes across the, the farm gate 
you make sure you use it as a fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I like that, and I want to, and we may go back to that in just a bit, John. Something that just happened to me just yesterday, and I thought it was funny, especially in light of, of our conversation here today as you're talking about this, is uh, as I mentioned a bit in reference just a bit ago, is that we have another ranch just to the north of us, about 30 miles, that has a little bit of farming. I have a guy farming that for us. And one of the things where we're dealing with is, you know, we're thinking how much fertilizer do we need to put on a pivot that we have? We took on, we had a lot of sorghum and millet on it last fall that put, I'm sure put a lot, pulled a lot of nutrients out of the ground. And so, you know, we've had people tell us, well, 40 pounds the acre. The guy farming it says, well, maybe 100 pounds the acre. The guy that's going to apply it, of course, he's saying 200 pounds. Uh, and we're like, geez, what do we do here? I call up a neighbor and he says, have you tested your soil? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh. And that's probably a pretty good place to get started. Right. So, you know, and, and again, in, in our in our system, soil testing is a great place to start. It's not necessarily you're going to necessarily use it as a fertilizer recommendation. You're going to use it as a management tool. So, you know what you can and cannot do. So, you know, if you have really low pH, uh, you know, you're not going to be growing certain legumes. <laughs> if yeah. you have, if you're really short on phosphorus, maybe going to limit you. That's fine. You don't. It's not going to mean you have to buy fertilizer. It just means don't try to plant that forage. Go with the flow. And then similarly, when we get in these really tight situations, you know, I was out, you know, we, again, we, we're in a forage system. You're not taking off a corn crop. You're not taking off all the nutrients. And so so right there, you know, you it's a little different. We aren't as reliant in a grazing system on that annual application. In fact, many of our systems, at least in our area, you you know you really what you're doing is you're trying to just check in with a soil test periodically make sure you're not trending downwards you should be able to recycle nutrients well and but then if your soil tests even on a row crop ground if they're up near optimum those systems are built i mean when people grow corn beans here they don't put nutrients on every year they put them on every other year you know that's our systems are built to be able to if you're near optimum soil test level uh you're there built to be able to take a year or two, even three years off, you know, sometime you're going to have to start, you know, over time, that's going to slowly draw it down. But, um, but again, in a grazing system, that rate of decline is going to be slow. It's going to be way slow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really important when we look at nutrients to just really understand when we're looking at a grazing system, it's not a root crop system. You know, it's by nature, a recycling system. And, uh, and as a recycling system, change happens slowly uh, in, in terms of nutrient removal. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break here, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue. And Craig, I want to talk a little bit about more about the research. I know that Missouri, uh, University of Missouri, you guys, I mean, you've got years and years of doing this. And so I want to talk about it because I also feel that there's guys out there and this would would probably fall into no matter where you're at in the country that are maybe considering, should we take some of this hay ground? and convert it to pasture ground. And we're going to talk about some of the research that you guys have all been doing down there because I think that may give us some indication of, of direction we should go on that. So my guests today are Craig Roberts and John Laurie with the University of Missouri Extension. We're going to continue with more from them when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you here with us on our program today. We're talking about ways that we can mitigate or, or looking at eliminating some fertilizer costs that we have. We, not only are fertilizer costs high, but also diesel prices are high this year. So just all in all, there's a lot of different factors coming into this that how can we kind of reduce the inputs 
in our operations, whether we're in the western part of the country that has a lot more dry land and a lot more grazing to folks in higher precip areas. There's some things we're going to talk about here today with my guests. And I'll introduce them here as we did in the first segment today. Craig Roberts with uh, a State Forage Crop Specialist with the University of Missouri. Extension is my guest. Also joining us is John Laurie, who's also an associate professor at the University of Missouri and the State Nutrient Management Specialist. We heard quite a bit from you, John, in that first segment, really about some of the elements within the soil. Craig, I want to go to you now because I know there's some research and, and actually both of you do have some research elements to, to share with us. I know there's more and more talk and, and it's being done out there of how can we maybe convert some of this pasture ground that we've been haying and running tractors over for years and years and years. How can we convert that into you know some improved grazing? And, and I think with some of the stuff that you guys have done might help some folks as they're considering that. Right. Well, again, how do we convert these these hay fields or, or crop fields over into pasture? What and with an eye on reducing fertilizer costs. Again, I go back to the legumes. Uh, the legumes, um, the typical legumes that we would grow in Missouri would be red and white clover, uh, alfalfa, annual espadiza, bird's foot trefoil. These are our typical legumes. And uh, uh, it's very easy, for example, to frost seed, that is, just drive a buggy over it and broadcast red and white clover, annual espadiza. Uh, Trefoil is a little bit more difficult to get established in a sod. Alfalfa can be established in a sod, okay. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the first thing. If it were me, you know, we're trying to reduce fertilizer costs in a pasture, that's, that's one of the things I would do is get the legumes in there. Uh, we'll talk in a minute about about rotating, but uh, legumes, no one really agrees on the exact amount. That's probably because there's not an exact amount of nitrogen that, that a particular forage species would supply. But the numbers range, you know, in alfalfa, anywhere from, from 70 to over 200 uh, pounds to the acre. I don't, I don't think that's what's uh, available but that's that's the amount that can be fixed probably i don't know what john would think about this but probably the most uh, productive legume in a grazing field in the eastern u.s the one that would give you the most nitrogen would be white clover and the white clover infixation is very high so yeah if i were if i were looking at reducing nitrogen costs and i was mm -hmm. you know coming from a crop field or or a hayfield, I would try to get red and white clover in right away. And I would add the annual espadiza for other reasons, and it can add some nitrogen, but but that would be the, the first thing I would do. Let me just continue on. Yeah. The other thing I would do after the legumes were in there, or even before, is I would fence it off. I would take that large tract of land and divide it into paddocks. Now, rotational grazing is nothing new. In fact, it's ancient. But it took, it was um, it went through a resurgence here in Missouri because Jim Garrish was here and some and I'm sure you probably mm -hmm. know Jim Garrish yep. who lives in Idaho now and it was really uh, during that time that we started a lot of this research and uh, but but when you're in a rotation and you're moving those cattle through like we said earlier you're gonna you're gonna be able to keep those legumes that will keep supplying that what I think of as free fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And so so that's that's one. And there are other reasons, but th those are my big two. Craig, real quick, and I want to go back to your question. You, you talked about red and white clover was what you felt would, would be the best at nitrogen fixation in your soil. I see a lot of folks going in with, with you know, alfalfa, of course, mm -hmm. uh, or yeah. a peas or something like that. Why would that be versus maybe the option of going with a clover? Um, sometimes when people are planting uh, some of these other crops, I think it was cow peas or even Swiss chard, some of these other crops, uh, I think they're not looking at this in terms of a perennial as we do. Mm -hmm. uh, really, our producers are low maintenance, low input and red and white clover in our state do pretty well. Red clover will disappear after three years, 
but it's so easy to get back in. You just you just drive over the field with four to six pounds in February in our state, sometimes late January, and, and it, it comes right back. So I think the reason that most of our people use red mite clover is, first of all, they they can be grazed heavily, mm-hmm. and uh, they they stay year after year. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's the advantage of those. Now, I, they're not necessarily the best legumes in terms of high nitrogen production, high nitrogen fixation. White clover would be. Red clover's really uh, middle of the road on that. But, but it, gets, it gets back to what, what's the easiest thing to do, and the payoff is, is, is very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, uh, what I'm hearing you say a little bit in this, Craig, is that it's, it's about low input, and you, got, you need to take all the factors involved in that. And just like your answer there, it was about, well, it's pretty easy to reapply a reseed clover just the fact that you just go out and and broadcast it versus having to go around you know with a with a tractor of some sort or an air seeder or 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 no tail or something like that so really it's it's when we're talking about this it's really encompassing every element right i mean i mean one of the things to remember at least in missouri is a lot of our cattlemen are not really row croppers so so even the equipment is they, they don't even own the equipment. They don't own the drills. Yeah. And so how's, how can they, how's, it's not foolproof, but, but how's the easiest way to get mm-hmm. legumes in a field and then get, get all the benefits, the forage benefits, the nutrient benefits, the uh, animal performance benefits, plus the infixation benefits. What's the easiest way? It's red mite clover in our state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, I'll go to you to add any additional comments on that. We, you know, we were talking a little bit about the different types of, of forages you could be looking at. And along with that, and of course, I, I don't want to forget the comment you said earlier. And the fact is anything you bring through the gate, you need to consider as a fertilizer. <laughs> so I really like that comment. I think there's a lot of lot to that that uh, we can utilize. And I don't know in your experience there when we're bringing in hay into our ranches, course we're on the backside of winter feeding right now but that really is a great opportunity to get something back in the soil right well i i, I don't i'm going to just say a little bit on the on the legume piece you know i you know it, you know as we go around to different you know parts of the country there's going to be you know the legume that works better i mean i know that you know we had a uh harley nauman is a forage specialist here he was trying to see how well uh, sun hemp would work in our systems you know because it's very drought tolerant mm-hmm. and um you know it, it you know it has it has some challenges here in missouri it's not the cheapest it was not the cheapest thing to put in the ground but you know it was just trying to test out a new you know a new type of you know there, there are many there's many different uh legumes out there that have their own particular characteristics and uh, you know, so I think what, what Craig is saying, you know, works, you know, for in our areas, but I think the, the, the concept that legumes can help and that, that legumes can fit various niches, there's a lot of different opportunities out there. So, you know, I think as people move around the country, they know what some of those are. They can look over the, you know, look over to near, neighboring areas to try to say, well, maybe I'm on the edge of, of the range for, for one of those. Maybe I should try that in my system. But, uh, you know, there's lots of different ways uh, to work. To, to work a legume into that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little confused as you talk about the, um, you know, converting to hay. Are you talking about hay ground that's already getting water? Or, I mean, it's getting external water involved or... Well, I guess I was thinking probably more dry land initially, but uh, really the question would be converting any kind of hay ground, whether it's irrigated or not, into improved grazing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I think just, you know, anytime you're moving from... Uh, you know, to a more just that more intensive management is brings out just an opportunity to 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 benefit from that more intensive management to make sure you're getting that return. So, the, you know, we've done. I think that there's a couple things. That, there's two things that drive where cows cattle spend their time. One is where water is, and one yeah. is where their food is. Yeah. And um, and by by managing those two things, you can help distribute where the where the manure is. I mean, we 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 did a winter feeding hay study where we uh you know had set rings you know we unrolled hay and we also were moving rings and you know the cows pretty much wherever the wherever the hay was that's where they spent the time you know we had uh gps collars on them 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you can just, you, you can put up a slide and you know exactly where that has, where those cows are moving and you can know which treatment it is just by looking where the cows spent their time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, and that's really the most important message um, with that is that if you want to use, uh, you know, if you want that, that imported feed to be a fertilizer, it's your job to make sure the cows move it around and spread mm -hmm. it well. And, um, uh, and so, you know, that, that was probably the, the biggest, biggest piece of that, 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 that you know, yeah. that, that works. Yeah. And it was actually through this last winter, it was a, I was actually looking to do an interview. I wanted to do an interview with somebody in regards to what I felt was, are we missing some opportunity with our winter feeding in, in not utilizing that in a good way that, or, or converting that into something that we could, will really benefit our operation. That was kind of my, my mind. And what I hear you saying is that, you know, if we're going to be feeding, let's, let's utilize that, right? Absolutely. You're where you winter feed is going to get a lot of nutrients and uh, those, those nutrients are either going to show up like, uh, I mean, to this day, you can go like one of the things that happened when people started grid soil sampling is all of a sudden we knew where all the old feedlots were and all the old winter feeding <laughs> areas were yeah. because they light up like a yeah. Christmas tree on a soil test map because, you know, they were feeding on those areas and those nutrients just got dumped there over and over again. And you can see the same thing when you soil sample pastures. You know, we've shown that over and over again. You go across the pasture grid sample that thing and i'll tell you exactly where they move yeah that thing. and so um and that's and we just need to you know we need to recognize with high fertilizer prices that there's a value in trying to figure out how to do a better job of that and you know the winter feeding in some areas when it gets wet you know they can they can chew up the pasture and so well maybe you use that you know maybe that's the where you're going to do renovation well that's your that's your sacrificed paddock for that year and and you load that thing up and then you renovate that pasture and it, it heads out and if you're doing a good job of grazing you know you just you sort of float the boat a little higher and then you know then it recycles at a higher level mm -hmm. so um you know and in our area you know the other thing that you know fertile there's lots of ways you, you know there's certainly hay is a good fertilizer um you know the poultry industry has been a good source of nutrients for pastures in missouri for 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 years um, and, you know, I'm sure other parts of the country have access to manure, you know, those, they're not balanced fertilizers, so you don't want to get hooked on it forever. Yeah. You're going to drive up nutrients, but at the beginning of the day, you know, it's still, it's worthy look at it. You know, it's not as much of a secret as it used to be. Uh, you know, that's those prices for fertile manure has gone up as well, but, uh, but, you know, you need to look around and, uh, recognize that, you know, fertilizer comes in quite a few forms yeah for sure we're going to take a break here folks when we come back we're going to have one more segment my guests today are craig roberts with the university of missouri extension also john lorry with the university of missouri extension they are guests and we are talking about really a, a host of things the topic really started to center around how can we save some of our costs and fertilizer costs or eliminate some of those costs we've had a lot of a good dialogue about a lot of different things here we're going to continue with them when we return on the working ranch radio show At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As our t topic here today, we're talking about ways that we can look at uh, maybe reducing or eliminating some of the fertilizer costs. I know fertilizer is maybe not something that everybody uses in, in maybe a range condition, but if you have corrals, you have fertilizer, and there's probably ways you could be utilizing that, right? And so uh, we are my guest here today, John Laurie, who is an associate professor at the University of Missouri. 
Missouri, also the state nutrient management specialist. And also joining us is Craig Roberts with the extension there in Missouri, state forage crop specialist. And uh, Craig, I want to go to you now because when we talk about, uh, we've been talking about essentially one of the ways to eliminate or reduce these fertilizer costs is is what can we put in the soil from a, that puts nitrogen back in our soil? And that points us directly to legumes, which is what you were talking about. And, and you think, and you were saying that, you know, we really have to know what we have out there and that, and, the, and that really is important that we do what we can to maintain a healthy environment for these legumes. Yeah. Um, the way to think of it is, <clears throat> you know, if I lose my legumes, I lose my free nitrogen. Mm-hmm. And so what, how do I keep the legumes? And that's, that's where we have to know what legumes we've got. Um, legumes survive either as individual plants, we call that plant persistence, or in a stand. For example, if we have alfalfa and we're relying on alfalfa, you know, we have to keep every one of those alfalfa plants, not every one, but if we lose 10 plants in a, in a square yard, yeah. those are gone. Mm-hmm. We, if we want the alfalfa back, we have to reseed it. So <clears throat> alfalfa persistence really is based around uh, letting that plant rest so that it can build up its carbohydrates and so on. Really, we need to, we need to give alfalfa um, anywhere from, from 28 days to, to 35 days, something like four to five weeks so that it can recoup because we need those plants. They may produce seed, but the seed are not really uh, fertile here in in this part of the country. We don't have really the pollinators. Uh, So it's really just a seed head. Um, In the case of something like birds for trefoil, which we have in our pastures, we know we're gonna lose those individual plants. It is a perennial. But birdsfoot trefoil is susceptible to a wide range of pathogens, and, and it's, it's susceptible to so many. We just say that birdsfoot trefoil has root and crown rot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows yeah. what causes it this yeah. time or next time? And so to maintain birdsfoot trefoil, even though it's a perennial, we have to let that plant reseed about every two years or so. And, um, and, th- and that's what we call stand persistence. We can maintain a stand of birds for trefoil, even if we lose the original plants. And, and in fact, that's how annual is, Bediza, as it would sound. You know, that's how we maintain it is, is through the stand persistence. So we kind of have to know what we've got in the field and how to maintain it. If we can maintain it, we keep that free nitrogen coming. If we lose it, we lose our nitrogen. We had to get it back in somehow. Um, in our rotational systems, we get that rest period for those individual plants like alfalfa. And if the rest period is long enough, we get that reseeding as well. So those are the two biggies. Mm -hmm. Now, we also have to know some things about the plant that may not be so obvious. For example, white clover. White clover can disappear in a field. And we'll tell everybody we lost our white clover, but it's there and it will come back. Mm -hmm. We lose our white clover when we hit a hot, dry year. It just doesn't compete well. And uh, but because it spreads by stolons, these little vegetative snippets down in the at the soil level, it's there. And if we get a cool, wet year, even if we haven't seen it for two years, all of a sudden we have white clover and we have so much white clover we can have problems yeah so knowing the plant that we've got knowing all of its characteristics how to keep it you know that's in my way of thinking that's a way to keep that free fertilizer spigot turned on sure keeping knowing which plants we have and how to manage it and what to expect of Craig, and I think that, and that's what I'm talking about. I know, you know, folks, you might be listening and you say, well, you know, he's talking about guys that are in a high precip area or these, or these pastures and things. But but that essentially is what I'm talking about that could be applicable to my, no matter if you're a range guy out in the western part of the country or whether you're in the eastern part of the country. What you just the principle of what you just talked about yeah. there that is universal, wouldn't you think? Knowing what you oh, got, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what the, in fact, the specific legumes that we have right here in Missouri would not be the same legumes they have in South Carolina, would not necessarily be the same legumes that they have in Minnesota. But that principle transfers across all those geographical regions. Know which plants you have, know what to expect if they're going to disappear and come back on their own, like, like you would have with white clover, and know how to manage them. It's no matter what they are in your region, absolutely that those principles transfer. Mm -hmm. John, let's go to you. Um, just kind of some some final comments back to essentially our theme here today, which which was really based around the idea of, you know, what are some things that we can do that could begin to eliminate or reduce these fertilizer prices? We've got not only fertilizer prices, as I said before, but we have higher diesel prices. So every every trip around the field is just more money that we're that we're doing. And so from your perspective, I know you focus more from the soil side of things. And so as we look at that and we kind of draw this down, some final comments from you. Well, I think the most important thing, uh, I think overall, and when we talk about uh, fertilizer and, and, and using it on the farm is we, when we have high prices, it, the more you understand about where your soil, what your soil test levels are, how reliant you are on any particular application to give you forage, that's important to understand. And, and typically if we're working with, you know, nutrients like uh, phosphorus and potassium in a pasture system, you know, they, you may be in a good position to take some time off, you know, recognizing that when prices go down, you know, you might have to pay to play a little catch up on those nutrients. Um, obviously with nitrogen, it's much more, uh, mentioned a more complicated nutrient and crops tend to be much more reliant on nitrogen year by year. And so in those situations, just make sure if you, when you are applying it, you're doing it the best job you can to maximize utilization. You know, we only make money from our forage if we can turn it into hay, into forages that cows eat or, and they ultimately turn into a product that we sell. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're only getting 50% utilization, 30% utilization, it makes it very hard to pay for that fertilizer, even when it's not high. So uh, it's as important to think about how well I'm utilizing the forage when I buy fertilizer as it is about, um, you know, really anything else about that fertilizer. So. Mm -hmm. John, just a quick question as you were talking there, and it brought me up to something else. I referred to it earlier about taking soil samples. Um, for folks that really are more range, uh, you know, grazing out on the range, uh, I know folks that probably a little uh, more in, around the farming areas are used to taking soil samples. Do you? What's your thoughts? I mean, as far as is, do you think it's it's, it's still important if even if you're a you're a 100% range got grazing and you don't farm, you don't even own a tractor to still get some soil samples. Well, you know, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'm an Eastern boy and you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time on the range. It's, it's a new world to me, but you know, what the soil sample does for you is it tells you where in the world you are. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine that, you know, you're, you're really on a different scale than, than we are on the East, you know, in the East, but at the end of the day, you need to know what your soil can do for you. And, and if you, you're going to either use it, you're going to manage your crops so they fit that soil, or you're going to have to make some investments in some soil amendments to make the soil fit your crop. Mm -hmm. And you don't know though the answer to those questions unless you know something about your soils. Now, um, you know, how you deploy soil sampling, you know, that's, that's probably going to vary yeah. depending where in the country you are. I can't really speak to that in the range, in the range system, but you know, if, if I want to know, uh, if I want to know how to do a good job of soil sampling and I want to get a good soil sample, two things I, you know, I want, I want to get soil, I want to know what the history of that, that field, that farm has been, you know, where the fences are, where there are management changes so I can put together a good soil sampling plan. And then I'm, I'm going to invest the time to get a good soil sample. It's, it, that's, and then once I, I'm going to do that, I'm going to spend more time, fewer times, <laughs> make the, if you're going to go do it, do it right. Mm -hmm. And don't worry about doing it every year. Just get out there and and get a good number, and then move on from there. Mm -hmm. So that's in a, in a nutshell what I'd say about soil sampling. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Craig, we'll, we'll wrap up with you. And one of the things I guess that uh, why I reached out to you guys was because of the Missouri grazing schools that you all have. And I know there's there's really there's educational opportunities for folks no matter what region you're in. And, you know, just like you said, John, I mean, you may not be as familiar with the range. There's probably some range and, and soil schools that are applicable to folks no matter what region you're in. But I know you, you all there, uh, Craig, you've got your grazing schools. That's a pretty good opportunity for folks in the similar area that you all that they can kind of learn some of this stuff yeah um, if people would like to know about this this is a way that we integrate the soil science the plant science the animal science the environment the natural environment and the economics uh, it's all integrated in, and part of our schools discuss what we're discussing right now mm-hmm. how to manage that operation with uh you know taking the best of what nature offers you for free and working it into your system uh the schools here in missouri uh they began april the first and they end uh, the last day of october we say april fool's day to halloween (laughs) (laughs) we have kind of we kind of did that so that we could remember (laughs) we're getting older and uh, but uh that's really our growing season pretty much and we like people to come to the schools during the growing season so that they can see not only, you know, sit in the classroom, but they can go out in the field and see the demos. Mm-hmm. These are the schools, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm shamelessly giving a yeah. plug for my friend Jim Garish out there. But oh, these, yeah. these are schools that were started with Jim and Ron Morrow and Morris Davis taught within RCS. And, and we're getting more and more people to, to give some volunteer lectures, Department of Conservation, DNR, and so on. And so, yeah, they're, they're, I think they're really good schools. I can brag on them because they weren't my idea, but I think they're outstanding schools and, and really teach the whole package. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, yeah, I encourage people, not just in Missouri, but the grazing schools now are conducted in other states and just uh, – I do. I do believe there are outstanding opportunities to learn about things like this. Mm -hmm. You bet. Well, guys, I do appreciate you for joining us here. My guest again is Craig Roberts, who's the state forage crop specialist with the University of Missouri. Also, John Laurie, who's an associate professor there at the University of Missouri and also the state nutrient management specialist. Thanks to both of you guys for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. And again, just to reiterate what Craig Roberts had said there, the University of Missouri Extension's grazing schools that they're having, if you are in an area that's similar to Missouri in terms of precipitation or vegetation, that'd be a good school to take a part of. I realize a lot of folks listening aren't necessarily in that area. There are grazing schools that are probably more relevant to your area going on throughout this year. This would be a good year to take advantage of those and see where you can put in some little tweaks in your own management operation that could end up saving you a good deal of money. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day will join us as we take a look at our long-term weather. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Whoa, Herefords are the efficiency experts for a reason. In crossbreeding systems, Herefords boost pregnancy rates by 7% and add $30 per head in feed yard profitability. And Hereford genetics bring unrivaled hybrid vigor, longevity, and disposition. Now that'll stop you in your tracks. Come home to Hereford for more pounds, more calves, and more profit. Visit Hereford.org for a sale near you. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show, Justin Mills, and we are joined now by meteorologist Don Day. Don, thanks for joining us here again as we find ourselves looking into the first part of June, and we do have a pretty good contrast with weather for folks in the west, seeing some moisture, or north and northwest, seeing some moisture, cool temperatures, but the south still hot and dry. Yeah, really going to see quite the contrast as we leave May and into uh, early June here is we're going to continue to be a little on the cool side and on the wet side for um, the northern plains back to the Pacific Northwest and part of the northern Rockies. I know that there are still some areas of Montana 
large swaths of the Montana that need some more rain and they're going to get some. Mm -hmm. And uh, that area is going to extend into the Dakotas back into Washington and Oregon. Um, It's a very similar pattern to what we've seen for really for the last six to eight weeks is those Western Northern area is going to have the coolest weather while we're going to see some warm weather return to the nation's midsection, the corn belt, the East coast, the Southeastern part of the United States for the first few days of June will be off to a very warm summer-like start while the West will be cool. So you can really divide the nation from the West to the East with the West being a, a cool start to June eastern part of the nation being a lot warmer Mm -hmm. and of course as we approach this time of the year we're also looking into beginning the process of really seeing our summer cycles taking place and then i know for folks down in maybe that new mexico country uh, arizona west texas hoping that there's going to be some moisture out of this monsoon moisture maybe down the road yeah that's really what they they have to hang their hat on since Mm -hmm. the spring has really been the precipitation this spring in many areas of Arizona and New Mexico and parts of Western Texas has almost been non-existent. I mean, we've seen a little bit of rain in the far Eastern counties of New Mexico. Some parts of Central and Western Texas have been able to get some rain here lately. But I tell you, you look at precipitation month to date for the month of May, in some parts of Arizona and New Mexico, there's some areas that haven't had anything, which is uh, something that you do see in a La Nina year, but boy, that that's really extreme not to have anything. But what you do now is as we leave spring, we start talking about what's called the North American monsoon. And that is the natural flow of moisture that in the summer months starts to come up out of Central America and old Mexico and feeds those afternoon and evening thunderstorms that usually does get started in June in Arizona and parts of New Mexico. So we're we're starting to look at that. And we do see, I think probably after the 7th of June, Justin, somewhere around that time frame, we're gonna start to see those parts of the United States get into some afternoon and evening thunderstorm activity. Uh, one thing we do keep an eye on is the sea surface temperature pattern in the Baja region of California and off the Southwest coast of Mexico. And last summer, it was actually a really good monsoon season, good in the sense that there were some really good rains in Arizona and New Mexico last summer from that pattern. And we're hoping that we can see something like that again this summer, whether or not we get the intensity of last summer, um, that's something we still need to do some work on. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Don, thanks for joining us. I know you're working on right now, researching a little bit uh, to give a good f- full update on La Nina and the, co- on the wa- waters on the west part of the coast. And we look forward to talking with you down the road about that and how that's going to affect our weather here through the summer. Yeah, it'll be a real big key as we go into the summer season. Now we're shifting gears and changing seasons. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here. Thanks, Justin. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You can tune in every Monday through Friday morning and listen to his weekly podcast. You can find that at dayweather.com or you can also just search it on YouTube and you can find his YouTube channel as well. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on this week's program and talk about what's in store coming up on the Working Ranch Radio Show. We'll be back with more after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Well, as we head the horses towards the barn on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, I want to thank our sponsors, Bobcat, One Tough Tractor. Visit bobcat.com and use the build and quote tool to design your ideal machine. As I said previously, the Working Ranch Radio Show, it's a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's ranchers. To find out why, start your subscription today. You can go to the website at workingranchmag.com to start today. If you'd like to get a hold of me, please feel free to send me an email at justin.workingranch 
at gmail.com. Well, what we're working on next for a program is to sit down with meteorologist Don Day with a long-term weather outlook for the rest of this spring, summer, and fall of 2022 and what that looks like across the country. Well, be sure to join us at the same time and same place or on your favorite podcast provider each and every week. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.